We're back for another episode of the Big Red Louie podcast. I am your host, Jacob Lane, joined tonight by my good friend, Alex Stengel, down in Butchertown. How are you, man? Good evening, Jacob. It is phenomenal in Louisville today, man. We we got, uh, I feel like the weatherman every time I come on, because I just literally open up with how it is in Louisville. I'm like, we got sunny skies. It is 77. There's not a breeze right now, but. You are turning into the dad who only talks about the weather. And I know you don't have kids yet, but with Tilly, with your dog, like you, I feel like you're aging by the day. Every time I talk to you, you're getting a little bit more like me and becoming like, like you talk about the weather. That's what, that's what you find interesting. Like, well, because so many thing. people get offended when they're like, don't compare pets to kids. And I'm like, I have nothing else to talk about guys. Like you talk <laughs> about your kids and I'm like, I have, you know, not like the same stories, but something funny happened with a, right. with a creature and not so a human. Like, you know, kids, but, people run by their, our street and they're doing, you know, they got their, their families and they're walking down our streets. Like, I don't want their kids uh, throwing trash in my yard, just like I'm sure. And so I yell, get off my yard, blah, blah, blah. That's not ever happened, but I would. Oh my you, God, you literally dog, did a get off my lawn. Yeah. And for you, if a dog pooped in your yard, like, or tries to like, you know, come after Tilly, that's your equivalent of me telling a kid to get off their, you know, to get off my yard. So we're both old. We're both adults. It's not what we came here to talk about. Uh, we've got a great show tonight. Uh, we got a guest joining us, Corey Evans from Rivals.com. We're going to talk a lot of basketball, which uh, recruiting, which I'm really excited about because uh, it's been a fun couple of days. Like remembering that feeling of landing a high school kid again for Louisville basketball. Or, yeah, I was going to say of just landing a recruit. Yeah, in, in, so like a high school recruit in basketball. Yeah, right, exactly. I'm, so we'll di- we'll dive into that a little bit. But the first thing I want to start with, Alex, this is this is groundbreaking content. This is what people come here for. Okay, they I'm come ready. here. They come here because they want to hear about sports, but what, what keeps people around here are these fun little quiz games that we find. Uh, and tonight, it's about candy. That's the topic. That, you know, you and I are both former chubby boys who I'm sure enjoyed our, our fair share of candy. I know I did. Uh, but there was a, a new survey that rele- that was released, the, the results were released today from Daily Mail. Uh, and there's several different variations of this, uh, but the most popular candy state by state. So I want to ask you, what do you think? the most popular candy in the state of Kentucky is. Okay, first off, I'm just going to correct you. It's not chubby. The politically correct version is husky. Husky. Uh, yes, so, correct. Yeah, but no, we were some chubsters back in the day. I'm not going to lie. I've seen photos. I know we weren't friends back then, but similar stories, I'm sure. I was Either just way. chubby like six months ago. So like, it, like <laughs> you didn't have, have to look back far. Recent experience has taught Sorry, me. No, I was uh, husky six months ago. Hey, man, we're all proud of you. Right. Well, wait, wait a humble brag on the podcast. I get it. So, candy in Kentucky. Okay, first off, these 50-state things are ridiculous because we, we saw the fast food one for Kentucky. Like, they didn't even have a fast food joint in the state, uh, what, whatever it was. I forgot what brand it was. So, these things are all over the map, and I understand that. So, I'm just going to take a random stab at probably one of my favorite candies, even though it's it's not going to be it. Um, okay, is it... Can I ask a question, like a yes or no question? Is you can it... ask one question. Okay. Um, in your opinion, it is a is it a mainstream candy? That's a that's a great question. Uh, I would you. say I, I would that. say no. Okay, uh, that helps. But, that helps. But it, I think if you ask somebody else who actually enjoyed this particular candy, I'm not a fan. Uh, but I think that they might say yes. So, you know, I, I see it everywhere I go, if that helps. So, yes, but I guess. It, with you, you know. not being a big candy person and saying it's not mainstream, that kind of that, that takes me. I don't uh, think it would be. That, as a side it, note to everybody, by the way, we uh, we actually drink beers and play Guess Who? The children's game. Uh, that's happened before. So when we when we go back and forth about trying to guess things, 
it's a very serious conversation. You sucked at that game, by the way. I got to tell you, you that. Uh, your your questions were horrible. No, I just was very specific. So your question has been asked. Now, what is your choice of what the candy is? What What All do right. you think it? I'm gonna go. Um, I'm gonna go like Whoppers. No, you are you are you are incorrect. It is not chocolate. Uh, it would be classified as a sweet, I guess. So the the answer is Swedish fish, which. What? I think it's the nastiest candy outside of candy corn that I've ever had in my entire oh, life. No. The, the Swedish fish thing doesn't make sense to me. My daughter likes them. I think she would eat anything gummy, like any kind of gummy candy or fish I've or had bear gum, Swedish like whatever. Fish, like probably every other night for the last like couple months, and oh. not even by cho- not even by choice. If, if Kate listens to this podcast, um, which it's about sports, so high likelihood she won't, but. Her addiction, candy-wise, is Swedish Fish. And I'm on board with your take. The original red gummy version is just, it's bland to me. I don't like it a lot. It's chewy cardboard. They have like 50 different versions of it right next to the original, right? So if I'm in a gas station or convenience store or grocery store, and she's like, hey, you know, like, we do like small bags of candy at night as like a treat. Um, And so she... Like, I won't buy the originals. I'll buy, like, the Extreme Sour, like, the, you know, whatever the cooler version sounds like, because I agree. The original Swedish Fish, I don't understand. It's like, um, what's the Easter ones that everybody doesn't? The marshmallow. Peeps. Yeah, Pete. I don't yes. understand the hot. It, it, it just tastes like tasteless sugar to me. I don't know. Maybe I'm yeah. a can't No, I, I'm right there with you. It tastes like chewy cardboard. I think it's the worst candy I've ever had outside of candy corn. Again, I can't say that enough. Shame on both of those candy producers for being trash. Uh, I am not – I just don't understand how the answer here is not like Starburst or Skittles because I don't know about you. I went to a public school, and those those are the only two candies that I ever saw anybody eat was Starburst, Starburst and Skittles. So like I guess that's a small sample size. I did go to a big high school, but like – the more people that I see eat candy are eating things like that and not Swedish fish. Like I've never seen anybody in line at a convenient or gas station store or like a grocery store getting Swedish fish. It makes no sense. Where are these people in Kentucky eating this? And Jacob, um, speaking of trash, can can I bring up um, the Duke fan base and, <laughs> and, and just their terrible, terrible trash talking? That, I wasn't going to call the fan base trash. I was going to get around to it, but... <laughs> It is the, a horrible transition, but like so awesome because I thought it was Duke a great fans, transition. No, it is, but like the like just like labeling all Duke fans horrible is like you know, as, just the ones in the forums that care enough when a commit. Uh, so tell me about a, a different we, school. We've talked about it a little bit. I don't know the full story. Tell me no, about so, what you've what, what has taken place with you and Duke fans and and these recruiting forums the last couple of days. Nothing. I've just been a creeper looking at at forum boards. But here's the thing. So Ethan, one of our writers in in, in BRL, kind of turned me on to this hobby, and it's essentially anytime your school um, gets a commit, and it essentially it's more of a steal than it is like you know we already know he's going to Louisville. The newest. The newest commit for Louisville, um, Cooley, is an awesome running back, four-star running back. Why don't you ever say first names when you talk about players? It's either you only say their first name or their last name. You never say a full name. Trevion Cooley. Well, first off, I didn't have his name in front of me, and I remembered his (laughs) last name was Cooley. So if you want to get technical, it's just by memory. I forgot his first name. Yeah, if you want the real story, we're not professional. Um, So, so yeah, Cooley committed to Louisville in – First off, 
Florida fans, here's the coolest part. We have SEC schools pissed off about this because Florida thought they were going to get an awesome running back in Trevion Cooley. Did not go to Florida. Duke thought he was a lock. Did not go to Duke. So what Ethan taught me is anytime this happens with a commit, you immediately go into the other school's private forums just to watch the meltdown from like an arm's length. And the Duke forums after Trevion Cooley committed to Louisville did not disappoint because I screenshotted some of the best ones I saw into the Slack group. And I think you might have even commented on a couple of them. But these guys were... Duke fans were so mad, they brought up the academic rankings of of Louisville versus Duke. And how... So now we're... He's not going to play football, and clearly he's not going to get an education since he picked Louisville. And, like, there's so many different angles of snootiness of, of how they talked. It. It, it wasn't just talking trash. It was... They literally used, like, academics... And that was about it. Cause yeah, they, I think what I saw was like, why would he? He wants to be in, in he wants to go for a good education. Why would he go to Louisville then? Which well, I and the would fact look. That look, people, I'm an alumni, I, I, Alex, and so I have my degree from Louisville. And I tell you that, like, when people say that now, it's a little bit different from when I was there. I got in with a terrible ACT score. Like, there's no reason I should have ever gotten into college there. But now no, that's not happening. So shame on them for not doing their homework. But also, if you're going to bring oh. that up, we've seen time how how okay time and time again, real world does not care, right? Like if you're good at what you do, you're good at what you do, regardless of where you came from. But that's not my point. My point is is the fact that 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 wasn't even the comment that made me the most riled. And and you know inside my head I'm laughing. I start scrolling and then I see the best comment so far, Jacob, which was essentially, why would he pick Louisville? when Duke is an equal football program with a better education. And I basically did that Vince McMahon meme where he basically like rolls back in his chair, you know, with his face, just like, Oh my God, can't believe it. I almost wanted to jump in there for him and just kind of just throw out stats, not even like comment, like in full sentences, just throw out bullet points of, you know, what Louisville's done the last 10 years and what Duke has done the last 10 years. Well, look, football, you know, Duke has had, uh, let's see. Cutler's one. a great coach. I'm not taking okay, anything so away from it. If you go back to Louisville and Duke, I don't have Louisville put up, pulled up next to me, but if you look at what Duke has done, I mean, it's, it's a lot better than you would think. There's only been two losing seasons in that period where they went four and eight in 2016 and they went five and seven last year. Uh, they won ten. They won ten games in 2013, nine in, two, in, uh, in 2014, and eight in 2015. Alex, Louisville has not had a stretch like that since uh, – around that same time with Charlie Strong where they went to the, you know, where they went and played in the Sugar Bowl. They played in the, uh, uh, well, gosh, what's that? They went, they played in the Russell Athletic Bowl. They played in a, a couple of other really big games. Um, and since, you know, they, they had the, the eight and nine win seasons with Bobby, but they've not gotten to that 10 win mark. So that's the only thing Duke fans can say is they got to 10 wins before Louisville did. But at, well, I, have, I don't have a pulled up next to me, so that might not right, be accurate. But then we throw out our BCS wins. We throw out our Heisman win. You know, like we've gotten on the map in multiple different ways. They would tell you that that they had a quarterback drafted higher. I'm just playing devil's advocate here. That's fine. (laughs) Show show me your NFL MVP. That's fine. That's That's correct. That that they do not have one that I know of, um, and I don't expect Daniel Jones to be much of anything in the NFL. Maybe that's a hot take of sorts, but I'm sorry, my quarterback doesn't walk into his locker room with 
khakis and a button down on like which the, if I'm look not, if we're describing duke fans like daniel jones is what a duke fan looks like in holy human crap like that that's wow. that's a duke fan daniel jones right like the, the epitome cargo yeah, shorts I, the the shirt the, the here's the here's the real indicator of a duke of a duke fan okay i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna shoot you straight here they're probably wearing some sort of new balance shoes with white socks that come above their ankles which in my in my uh, expertise, Alex, there is not a worse fashion sin than white socks with tennis shoes. That's Duke fans for you. The Duke fans are white sock are are shoes with white socks. The best comment I've ever seen about David Jones had to be this like the first time he walked in, I guess, like the first Sunday uh, they had a game, I guess, and he walked in and it was the the morning everyone made fun of him for wearing like the basically like the khakis buttoned down. Then he had a backpack on, I think. And so uh, it was either the onion or somebody else, but somebody took that photo and was like, uh, parent chaperone gets lost on school trip to football stadium. And I swear to God, it was the most fitting title I've ever seen. You're spot on. A man who's supposed to be a a pro quarterback, which he is, but either way, uh, Duke sucks. That's that's what I'm going to finish that with. All right, we're super excited about tonight's episode of the Big Red Louie podcast. Uh, we're excited to bring on Corey Evans, who covers basketball recruiting for rivals. You have caught some of his pieces over the last few years. He does a great job covering the, the national landscape of college basketball recruiting. Corey, welcome into the show. How are you? I'm doing great. How about you guys today? You know, no complaints here like we were talking about before we came on. It is actually, for once, a beautiful day in Louisville. The weather here is a hit or miss, so it's actually been a fairly nice day and actually a fairly nice couple of days. So no complaints. And I don't know if you've been paying attention, but uh, the Louisville athletes have started to report back to campus, uh, basketball players included in that. And it's been cool to kind of get uh, Louisville's perspective of this happening more than, uh, you know, a lot faster than a lot of other programs. But I wanted to start tonight with that. How is how has life been for you during this last few months of quarantine? I know that recruiting is really hot and heavy at this time of year. So how, how has your work been impacted? What life has how's it been for you? What's it been like? And how have you kind of adapted it to the impact of COVID-19? There's no, you know, there's no map for what we're doing for anyone in, in any walk of life. So it, it's kind of like um, we're not sleepwalking, but we're definitely walking in the dark here um, and trying to find um, things to do that might be beneficial to evaluating, um, uncovering uh, maybe late emergers. Um, just talking on the phone constantly. It's like Groundhog Day. Every day you wake up, watch some film, make some phone calls and do it all over again. So you know, I miss the road somewhat. It's every weekend I've become, I was accustomed to being on the road, um, traveling, you know, evaluating, being in the gym, watching these top high school prospects um, every spring and summer. That hasn't been, of course, a norm um, the past few weeks, past few months. But again, it's, it's just constantly just film watching. So kind of get back out there. Yeah, that's that's interesting that you talk about that. We had Matt Babcock on a couple of weeks ago, Babcock Houston. He talked about the same thing. It's just been a lot of film, you know, rinse, repeat, trying to get on the phones, but not burn himself out. Yep. Uh, to you, what's been the most interesting thing, or the, what's the what's a story that you can share during the last few months that's just kind of really stood out to you? Something that you'll remember for forever. Um, you know what, man? I I just think it's really the profound impact of this virus. Um, and you know, I was actually in Nashville during. Um, whenever, you know, the Rudy Gobert situation unfolded. Um, and I was around a very, you know, the SEC tournament with a couple of the college teams at the time, you know, with, with Florida and LSU program and A&M. And um, just the, the uh, you know, seeing these coaches who 
are so accustomed to being um, having control, you know, and not having that control and not knowing what to say to their their players because, you know, really they didn't know what was ahead. And, you know, here we are three, four months later um, and still not knowing um, what is going to happen just um, in a week from now. So it's more of just the uncertainty and the uncertainty surrounding a business that is all about certainty and about control. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things you mentioned there, and the next thing I want to get into is as players who are emerging or kind of come out of nowhere. Uh, for Louisville fans, I, I think I, I can speak for the majority of the fan base that at this time a month ago, uh, maybe a month and a half ago, most people weren't familiar with Bobby Pettiford Jr. Uh, and here we are on a day after his commitment. Uh, he kind of came out of nowhere. Louisville got involved early in May and a, a commitment happened, you know, just a little bit over a month later. Uh, tell us a little bit about Bobby Pettiford, your your analysis of him as a player and, and what you think he brings to Louisville. Yeah, first of all, Louisville, I mean, Chris Mack and Dino Gaudio did a phenomenal job of recruiting him. I mean, not having he, – he never even visited the campus, even unofficially. Um, they never were, were really recruiting him um, prior to the pandemic. So kudos to the Louisville staff for getting that one done. Um, but Pettiford someone that can play – both guard spots. I mean, he's tough, fearless, 6'3", good size. Um, again, can play both on and off the basketball. Um, a great athlete, definitely someone trending upward. Um, you know, they, they beat a few of the regional programs, but Pettifer could have been someone that, say, the, the travel circuit would have been in place this spring. Uh, his recruitment might have been a little, uh, a little more crowded with, you know, the ACC, the Big East, the AAC programs. And one thing I've seen from his film, and, and I've seen a couple of people comment on it, is that how much he just thrives in an up-tempo system, sure. uh, being, the, being that point guard that likes to cut and slash and drive. But from what we've seen the last couple of years, um, at least with Mac at Louisville, his offense has been a little bit slower than a lot of people would have anticipated. Um, so, I mean, how do you see him kind of fitting in Mac's system now that Mac is starting to get more of his guys? Yeah, you know – Chris is always it's kind of similar to what Xavier is still doing. They're, they rely on bigger guards um, that can attack and get downhill. Um, was kind of surprised that Darius Perry didn't do as well um, towards the end there. I thought he would have been um, a pretty good fit for Chris Mack's playing style. But I think we will see more of an up-tempo um, scheme, um, a system. It's just been difficult because it's at, at the point guard spot, you know, you guys know it's it's been grad transfer after grad transfer, and you really right. had someone who's been there, done that multiple years, and you know that that's not going to be easy again this year with the pandemic going on and um, a somewhat um, you know curtailed um, summer and off season. But I think moving forward, Bobby Pettiford, um, you know, multiple guard lineups will become the norm. Um, you know, getting out in in the open floor more often. Yeah, and, and Pettiford joins Bryce Hopkins in the class of 2021, giving Louisville two guys. Uh, it's been it's been a weird cycle because Louisville got that first commitment from Hopkins back in November. I think it was 213 days in between commitments between uh, Hopkins and, and Pettiford. But where do you uh, kind of stand on what the, the class looks like and what uh, the job that Chris Mack and, and his staff have done thus far? Yeah, Luke, you know, Luke Murray did a phenomenal job of getting ahead of the ball there with Bryce Hopkins. I mean, Bryce Hopkins was just – becoming more of a top 50 um, nationally recognized prospect at the time of his commitment. So that would not have been an easy one um, this time if he was still available with, you know, the local programs like Illinois, Michigan, Michigan State, Indiana, 
So to have two kids in the hopper, um, you know, two fringe 150 guys, um, that, 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 that's a lot. I mean, especially at, at a time where the 21 class is not great as it is. And we've already seen probably a third of, all, of our 150 rankings, um, those prospects come off the board. Yeah, and, and speaking of the board, Louisville's big board kind of taking shape now. And we've seen uh, Chris Mack and staff furiously offer uh, scholarships the last two months. I mean, they've really kind of hit the ground running during this pandemic. Um, and, and like you said, taking advantage of the Zoom and the other tools to recruit. Uh, but what, right now, there's a lot of players still out there for Louisville that they're in on. Specifically, I think Harrison Ingram, Aminu Muhammad, Efton Reed. Uh, these are guys that Louisville fans know and are really curious if they're going to be able to land. Uh, so how do you think that the rest of this class shapes out for Louisville? Yeah, I think it's going to be another, you know, a top 15 recruiting class nationally, top 20. Um, now the question is, you know, who's going to make it up? Um, I think they definitely want to get another guard or ball handling guard, um, whether it's, you know, in, in the jumbo format with a Harrison Ingram type or an Amina Muhammad. But again, they've uh, they've laid the foundation down with the proper um players that be i mean Jalen worley um jordan hawkins um you know hunter salas as well so they're definitely involved with the right players now it's a matter of you know who they're going to be and i think for the most part some of these kids are going to take things into the fall and a lot is going to go into those visits before they commit speaking of timelines though you know one big concern we, we've kind of been throwing around back and forth is just how are these ncaa investigations going to impact um those were not even just the timeline, but just the recruit, recruiting as a whole. Um, you know, how do you, how do you keep, uh, you know, a top 40 kid in the fold looking at a potential, you know, tournament band or, you know, whatever punishment may come for Louisville. Um, what's your take on that? Or what, what have you heard, I guess, um, thought wise from, from some of the recruits? You know, it's, that's the guessing game now because the times have changed because of the, the recent allegations and penalties levied against Oklahoma State. Um, before that, it was a matter of, uh, you know, it's not going to come, or um, it, when it does come, the penalties won't be harsh, um, because prior precedent has showed that they haven't been. Um, it's been three, four years since um, the FBI case opened up into the sport of college basketball. Mm-hmm. Um, Till now, it's like it's a matter of maybe – these things are not going to hit. Maybe these penalties will not, um, you know, undercut the programs. Um, but Oklahoma State last week receiving that uh, postseason band, and you know, they are the the floor of what's to come. I mean, they 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 probably did the least out of any school that is received um, a notice of allegations. So time will tell. Now, I think in the past, these schools have done a great job of you know, kind of quieting the storm and, you know, putting out the brush fires. Um, and that's why we've seen, you know, the programs like LSU and Auburn, um, you know, and even Oklahoma State um, bringing a top 15 recruiting class the past few years. Now now the question is, um, in light of Oklahoma State, um, you have opposing programs definitely using that against Louisville and any other school in Snarled in the uh the ncaa's cases so that that question is still um the answer is still to be determined yeah one thing i wanted to before we jump into last year in the class of 2020 where a lot of louisville fans still have questions i want to go back to 2019 and kind of tie that to the upcoming basketball season 
Louisville's got six uh, players that were in that 2019 class that was deemed the super six around here, featured Samuel Williamson, David Johnson, Aiden Gahan, and all of those guys. They are all back for their sophomore seasons, and they're all going to play significantly higher minutes than they did last year. With that in mind and those guys' development and what you saw on the recruiting trail when you covered them, uh, what are your thoughts on Louisville for this season and expectations? You know, I, I was actually surprised Samuel Williamson didn't play a little bit better, um, but he he did show some spark, right? I mean, there was moments of why he was at USA Basketball, McDonald's invite, um, while he was a five-star talent. I think Samuel Williamson is the, the, the player that's going to emerge, um, you know, out of that class beyond David Johnson. I think David Johnson's already, um, you know, a household name, of course, in your area. Um, but Samuel Williamson's the next guy up. I think Nickelberry is, is a good piece, and Quinn Zielinski and you know, Aiden Aguihan. Um, we'll see. Aiden has always had the talent, and of course, the physical abilities. It's about putting it all together. Um, you know, Jalen Withers is the redshirt guy that um, no one's really seen, but might have among those five or six the best upside. Um, but again, consistency is definitely crucial to any and all those six, and especially with um, speaking on the whole, they're going to go only as far as, uh, you know, Louisville is only going to go as far as those four or five or six take them, especially with, uh, you know, Jaden Skabrub taking the uh, the NBA route. Had to throw that in there. Right. Well, or, and, and, and it in there. You know, Corey, it's interesting because uh, Louisville fans here have, you know, been on the fence on what to believe or what, you know, what to feel and think about the whole Jay scrub decision, just because you don't see Juco players go to the NBA before we talk about the players that they missed on, because I think that's the big narrative for 2020. uh, How important was it in your mind for, for Chris Mack even to get a commitment from Jay scrub, because you're talking about a guy at the time who was one of the hottest names on the recruiting cycle uh, was having, you know, coming off that freshman season and was starting to get major uh, attention. How how important was it for Mac to land somebody who was in his own backyard, was familiar with the program, in terms of sending a message that Louisville could still recruit at a high level? Yeah, at the end of the day, man, the elite want to follow, want to follow the elite. Um, and, and sometimes it doesn't even matter how those elite prospects do at that um, respective program. Um, just the fact that Jay Scrub, this, this five-star junior college prospect, um, decided on Louisville, um, the program was put in the right spotlight for the right reasons. So um, just being involved and having um, someone like that um, in that mold of that, um, in that platform, um, committed to Louisville, it's going to draw greater eyes of, you know, future elite towards that program. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely a gut punch, but um, in the end run, it, it doesn't hurt, especially with, you know, DeAndre Davis and J.J. Trainer already committed as well. Yeah, and before before we even dive into that, so I, I want to talk about some of the guys that Louisville missed on. Caleb Love, Jamie and Brakefield, DJ Stewart. I mean, last year, at one point you had, I think it was Isaiah Jackson, who ultimately didn't end up committing to Louisville, obviously, but he said that you know Chris Mack was the coolest coach in college basketball, and you, you started to see these guys really come out and share their, their love for, for Chris Mack and for Louisville, and then they missed on everybody. I mean, it seemed like they missed on 15 to 20 prospects last year. I think they ended up with some good pieces, which I do want to get your thoughts on what you think on DeAndre Davis and J.J. Trainer. But in your mind, what happened in 2020? Because we've heard things like, you know, there wasn't – coming behind six other freshmen was going to be difficult. You know, the, the NCAA investigation. There was a, def, a couple of different thoughts that people had. But in your mind, where where was the biggest miss for Louisville? Um, 
it all derived from just bad luck. I mean, honestly, I mean, you, and let me make this clear. Um, it wasn't like they were missing out on these kids to, you know, comparable or, or, or traditional high majors. It was the blue bloods. It was, you know, Caleb love and the Carolina with DJ Stewart and Dylan Brayfield to Duke. Um, those aren't the easiest programs to defeat. Um, you know, respect to Louisville staff for getting involved with those kids before they quote unquote blew up. You know, I mean, Caleb Love and DJ Stewart were not even um, five star players this time last year. Um, and they evolved into those types um, throughout the summer. But beforehand, Louisville was with front and center. Uh, it just sometimes you just, it's, it's the power of the brand and it's the power of, the Duke and Carolina brand. That's just what they're up against. But, uh, you know, moving ahead, Chris Mack, his personality and, and the work ethic and uh, relationships and the networking abilities of that of that coaching staff uh, alongside him, uh, they're going to win way more battles than lose. Uh, and even those type, I mean, to the Blue Bloods. And that's a – I want to go back to that point you just made about how the elite want to follow the elite and um, also touch on, you know, the, the – the program's brand in, in terms of strength. So how big of a deal do you think it is that Chris Mack hasn't really put a notable player yet in the NBA um, in terms of how does that relate with, with recruits? Yeah. You know, after a while that's going to have to um, take part. Um, right. But, you know, David Johnson, hopefully for Chris's sake and everyone's sake that he is that guy um, and Sam Williamson, still hope for him. Um, yeah. It, it, it it does come down to the NBA. I mean, these, these kids are becoming less and less um, enamored with winning um, as much as compared to the NBA. Uh, and that's why you see certain prospects skipping college altogether. Um, you know, I don't want to stereotype. I want a group, but that is, uh, that, that's, that's the demographics we're dealing with anymore. We're, we're dealing with kids that they, they want to um, above all else get to the NBA and whoever can get them there the fastest or in the best way manner or the best way possible, uh, they're going to go there. That's why Duke and Kentucky are um, the, the blues of the blue bloods right now. And it's also interesting because you, you brought that up um, because you're seeing on, even like on TV and, and just random segments about the, the view now has kind of shifted from like you just mentioned, like winning a line, getting to a high level in college to whereas it's more so an individual path of even if we don't, even if we aren't allowed to make it to the tournament this year, I just still want to show off. So, yep. you know, some, you have some of these people saying it's really not that big of a deal because even if we're banned, I still can show you off with our facilities and coverage and great conference and, and all that stuff. So that's why it's kind of interesting to hear, like you just mentioned, the, the overall shift in, in their perspective. Yeah, and that's why we see, not why we see primarily, but that's that's part of why the transfer numbers are, um, so, so great is what they are. I mean, we're even seeing some kids that are household names from the sport transferring because they, they want that. They don't think they are um, being showcased enough or being developed enough for the league. I mean, we have that's why you have if winning was, you know, paramount to all that is in college basketball, then wouldn't the top programs in America not, you know, not be having transfers leave their program? Um, I, I think it's. Um, end of the day, um, whether it's peer pressure, or the ego, or uh, just the desire to the professional wrong or um, unrealistic expectations, NBA is front and center. 
And so the the biggest thing with Louisville right now moving forward is going to be the results of the NCAA investigation and uh, the impending punishment that we know is coming as Louisville fans. We've been through this before. We know the feeling. And and now it's just kind of in limbo. But I want to ask you a, a general recruiting question relating to NCAA investigations. We've seen a lot of schools across the national landscape continue to do well with getting big time elite kids while other programs have struggled without, you know, with not being able to, to recruit because of the negative recruiting, whatever, whatever you have there. But is there in your mind a formula that uh, can calculate kind of successful recruiting while dealing with NCAA investigations? I know Arizona is not uh, in terms – I don't believe they've been notified of any type of notice of allegations. I could be wrong on that. But I thought that their, interest, their recruiting was interesting in 2020 bringing in so many foreign players. I've never seen a school like them do that. But, it, it, you know, and then with the transfers and grad transfers, like in your mind, is there a formula to make that work to not just get absolutely destroyed while you're in punishment uh, and then reemerging? That's the beauty of college basketball right now is there's more than one way to construct a roster. And like you just said, whether it's the international um, realm, you know, even 20 years ago, Gonzaga, they, they knew they couldn't recruit with the behemoths here domestically so they went overseas and you have arizona who um you know maybe they can't get these five-star players right now um because of the cloud hanging over it um so they're going overseas um or you know maybe it's a grad transfer maybe it's someone that um played at a low major program was a star there um, and wants that one final shot um for one final year and just to, to have the facilities to have the gear to have the the platform um, you know, a guy like Carly Jones, I mean, he's never, he's never had the facilities, um, to go to a, a an open gym or a practice gym 24 seven that Louisville can a lot, you know, and the, the gear and the travel, all that, it adds up. So if they can't get these high school prospects, if, if they can't find these under the radar hidden gems, if they can't find or recruit the top 25, top 50 players in America, um, like, you know, a program of the ilk can. You know, whether it's overseas, whether it's a transfer round, whether it's a junior college route, uh, which Kansas has gone down now. Um, there's so many different ways and, and uh, avenues that you can um, you can take to really uh, still find success. And keeping those things in in my head. So how would you expect Louisville's recruiting to change within the next two seasons? You know what? Um, you know, we'll see what what penalties actually uh, come down. Um, I think it's the worst time is the waiting and seeing what is actually going to be, uh, they're going to be levied against. I mean, levied with, I mean, and like I said, in light of the Oklahoma state news, it hasn't made things any better. Um, But whether it's, you know, getting ahead of of the eight ball here and, um, and landing these high school prospects, earlier in the process um, and then go on the grad transfer route or the transfer route. And we don't even know what is going to happen with the transfer route. I mean, it seems like we're, we're a year away from, um, you know, the one-time transfer rule going into effect, which um, could hurt Louisville. You know, you could have a mass exodus of players um, year one, once those penalties do hit uh, or it can definitely help. You could see consistent, um, you know, income of, you know, a Charles Midland and a, and a Carly Jones every year that might not be grad transfers, but they are immediately eligible because of that transfer route. So, of the transfer rule. So, 
Um, it's a guessing game, but I think it's a it's a it's a mixture of you know getting ahead with those guys like a Pettiford or a Hopkins, and also um, a transfer route. And one thing me and Jacob have, have talked um, at length about, you know, from for months is just the fact that with the with the penalties not even coming coming yet, like you just mentioned, the, the timeline of it, it's gone on for so long. You think that the cloud hanging over the program, the timing and waiting, it, that should honestly, in my opinion, be factored into the punishment because to your point earlier, you just mentioned, you know, Chris Mack is getting negatively recruited against, you know, and that's only going to continue to happen the longer this thing drags out. So it, it sucks that we haven't even gotten the punishment, and this thing is years in the yep. making. You know, I mean, it, it's insane to think about the timelines and how quick the NCAA can do things and then how quick they when they don't want to do things, how slow that that becomes. But yeah, it's so I want to ask one more question before we get out of here um, relating to recruiting and big picture, Corey. Uh, there's been a lot of things that have kind of changed over the last few months that aren't even necessarily, you know, related to, to recruiting calendars with the pandemic and things like that. But some of the, the new rules that have come into play with exposure camps, the one and done rule potentially being thrown out there again is uh, being eliminated by the NBA or allowing players to enter straight out of high school. And then now you have the, the, the G League uh, showcase team being introduced that's already gotten multiple players from the high school level uh, including Jalen Green, kind of their their big the big land so far. But what's the what's the biggest kind of threat to college basketball if there even is one? And how do you see those things kind of playing out long term? Yeah, you know we're in such a fluid um, time in college basketball with so many different layers and mentions that are are either arising now or about to um, pop off. I mean, with um, name, image, and likeness whether it's the G League, whether it's down the road, the one-and-done um, role being erased, um, whether it's a pandemic. Um, it, it, it's just so – it's crazy times. You know, I, I definitely think the G League, um, that that is definitely going to land uh, a big impact on the college game. I and mean, we're always already seeing Jalen Green, Deshaun Nix, Isaiah Todd, Kai Soto. I mean, we're expecting for John Kaminga to reclassify and go to the G League route as well. So that's five. Um, transformative college basketball players that are not going to play in the sport next year and instead will train with the G League program. So that definitely is going to hurt, um, you know, the college game as a whole. I uh, don't think it's the end-all, be-all, but, you know, even more so, it's name, image, and likeness. Uh, you know, the, the programs that are forward-thinking and proactive and have, uh, you know, a, a fundamental base to how to deal with this stuff, um, they're going to flourish. They're going to succeed. We're going to see the traditional high majors act like they're blue bloods. We're going to see some blue bloods that aren't forward thinking. They're going to act like mid majors. Um, you know, we're going to see a mid major like a Murray State maybe survive this and, you know, land guys every other year that are of the mold of a John Morant. Um, so that's the biggest question at hand is name, image, and likeness um, along with the G League. And it's going to really transform, um, you know, the complexion of the sport as a whole and do so, you know pretty pretty soon yeah well Corey, we thank you so much for your time you guys can check out his work at rivals.com i've got a couple of, of pieces or a couple of columns that Corey writes weekly that mm -hmm. I, I make sure to read every single week so you can find find that on rivals.com and you can follow him on twitter uh, at Corey underscore or Corey evans underscore 10 and Corey, i believe you just had a major accomplishment named to the top 100 most influential people in college basketball recruiting is that correct 
Hey, I'm blessed. I mean, a little lucky for that one, man. I, I should be probably number 100 out of 100, but, uh, you know, I'm very fortunate and floored by that. So I appreciate that. Yeah. Well, congratulations. You're a lot higher than we are, which, uh, you know, take that for what it's worth. But Alex and I probably wouldn't crack the top, you know, 1 million influential people in college basketball, but nonetheless, thank you for taking the time to talk Louisville basketball recruiting with us and, uh, enjoy, uh, what is going to be, I guess for you, a, a summer spent at home instead of out on the road at AAU events. Yeah, I appreciate that, man. Thanks for having me on, as always, and look forward to coming back on. Thanks, Corey. Appreciate it.